right, and welcome to the show all. I'm your host, Soli, and once again, we got another exclusive film-making guest. We have Brendan Rogers from the Central Florida Film Festival up in Mount Fora. How are you, sir? <laughs> I am doing okay. I mean, we survived another year, so there's that. Yes, so Central Florida Festival's debuted in 06, and it's... You know, every spring been just unleashing numerous short films, student films, and independent features. And yeah, so you you've been with uh, the company uh, like halfway through their development, and no, not even close. Not uh, even close. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, it was started. Uh, we we just finished the seventeenth uh, year. Seventeenth um, year. Right. Yeah, the festival was founded actually. Um, Bob Cook, uh, Ginger Cook, Brandon Arrington, who's now, um, I believe he's on the Osceola uh, County Commissioner's Board. Um, they had founded it at the Osceola Center for the Arts, um, and then it had moved to um, the West Orange Cinemas in Ocoee, Florida. It was there for a long time. Um, that's where it was when we first stumbled on it. It was because we encountered the festival for the first time as filmmakers. Mm, nice. Uh, and that was in 2015. That was in their 10th year. Um, and at the time, um, Senflow had been held every Labor Day weekend. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, um, it ended up getting handed off to me or to us in, uh, 2017, um, our second year there, cause we had a short in, in the festival in 2015. And then in 2016, we ended up having another short there and both of them ended up performing better than we thought they would. And it, I kind of hit it off with the executive director, Bob Cook, who was also the founder and, because we're both we have a theater background and we kind of like started chatting up about that and then it turned into do you you know would you be interested in um you know maybe co-producing a film together which subsequently we did but when we were meeting about that um sometime in the fall of 2016 um kind of out of the blue he said hey what do you you know i kind of want to retire next year to maybe get back into making films again what do you think about taking over the festival which surprised the hell out of me i mean that was, we weren't, <laughs> you know that's not even what we we're meeting about and so right. i just sure because that was you know that's usually the best quickest way to get me to do something is to you know if it takes me by surprise so i said sure yeah why not and so 2017 was sort of a transition year and then that labor day is when it officially got handed off to us so I came into it in its 13th year. It was going into its 13th year. Um, mm -hmm. It was kind of a reboot for the festival because we, you know, we ended up moving it to an entirely different town. It's in Mount Dora. Um, different theater, different executive team, different um, board. Um, so it's a whole new board of trustees, whole new team running it. So we just, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a soft reboot for the festival itself um and the only other change we made was that uh because we had kept it in september but i don't know if you're familiar with florida in september but it's like the worst time to do anything uh, yeah it it is oh, what what do you think in pop culture everyone likes to just act like oh it never rains you know 
No, I, no, it rains every day in September in Florida. Or there's, you know, and that's the thing. It's like it's like being in I don't know Nicaragua or something. You're either you're getting heat exhaustion during the day. Mm-hmm. There's a torrential sort of thunderstorm or something going on at night. Uh, or you have a hurricane, and that's actually why we ended up moving it out of um, out of September. Was in 2019, we ended up having to postpone the festival for three weeks because of Hurricane Dorian. Oh wow! Which creates all kinds of you know havoc and pandemonium with our filmmakers, who particularly the ones coming in, you know flying in from out of the country, because they can't just you know rearrange travel plans on a dime. And, you know, I had kind of a little come to Jesus meeting with the with my team and said, look, are you is there any reason why we're keeping this thing in September? I mean, it's a terrible month just for weather. You know, kids are going back to school. Um, It's not convenient for some of the parties, you know. (laughs) No, 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 no. You're right. And and also, you know, it's not like the oceans are getting any cooler. So (laughs) having hurricanes. So we I put an exploratory team together that was made up from a number of different like film people in Florida. So people that were also exhibitors um, or that go to all kinds of competitions, things like that, that, that would know about it. And they kind of came back and said, well, the two months of the year, like juxtaposed to all of the other festivals and uh, screening series and, and competitions that are in sort of a, you know, 150 odd mile radius from Orlando, like greater central Florida, they said their two best options would either be to do it in, uh, do it in November, or do it in January. Well, I was like, well, we don't want to do it in November because then you try to do anything before the holidays, nobody's going to do it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to spend, well, no, the general public, donor, sponsor, they don't want to spend money. And then January, on the other hand, it's, you know, if they're, if they know they're going to travel for the holidays, they can plan for it in advance, travel again. Um, the third weekend in January puts us far enough away from New Year's and all that so that it's not inconvenient for, um, for any of the, you know, uh, from any, for anybody who's traveling from out of the country, so that's kind of where it landed. And I, I let our, or I reached out to our uh, exhibition theater, the festival theater, which is at uh, Epic Theaters, and mm-hmm. I said, hey, would you guys be okay with us uh, moving from September to January? And they had no problem with that either, because you know January is historically where movies go to die as far as the box office goes You're yeah not <laughs> all the wide release in the third weekend all the wide releases that would have come out around christmas have already kind of done their thing mm-hmm. and now with streaming you're you know they're like a lot of studios are pulling the movies quicker so that they can pop them onto their screening services so it's not like it's really we're not it's not like Labor Day era, well, it used to be Labor Day. It's not like Memorial Day weekend or something where it's prime real estate theaters. So that's kind of like the very circuitous way to get to um, kind of where we are now and how long like we've been running it. So we've been running it for whatever that is now. 2018 was our first year. So that's what, like five-ish years um, from the first festival that we had. Um, it's actually closer to four years because it used to be in September. but. Um, yeah and out of its you know 17 year history gotcha gotcha and 
Uh, do you feel like with a lot of your colleagues that everyone is speaking the exact same language and business philosophy, or has it been uh, unpredictable, sometimes even a challenge to just make sure that, hey, you know, everyone wants the best possible festival presentation, turnout? When you say colleagues, are you do you mean like people on our team? Oh, yeah, just on your team, sponsors. Oh, yeah, no. Our our team, you know, the thing is everybody on the team um, are filmmakers in some capacity. Um, I mean, I'm a an actor, writer, director, producer. Um, nice. Our, our board president is a screenwriter and a film professor. Um, the president of our advisory board is a retired UMass film professor and former critic. Um, everybody on the team. Uh, our filmmakers, whether they're directors, or producers, or writers, um, everybody's really worked on movies in some capacity, and also theater. So there, we're all sort of like roll with the punches types because you mm -hmm. have to, you know, it's a predict it's an unpredictable, um, you know, medium anyway. So yeah, no, I mean everybody's pretty much in lockstep with uh, what we do, and um, uh, as far as like what you would call a corporate philosophy that we would have. Um, and it's really the fun part of that is that, you know, we can, we can kind of do for filmmakers who are where we were, let's say 10, 15 years ago, who are just starting out or, or, you know, need the exposure, need the connections. You know, it's the, the Jack Lemon philosophy of like, once you get to like hit a certain plateau, it's your job to send the elevator back down to help other people. And that's kind of what, like what we're doing. Nice. Uh, how do you think everyone just maintains that just positive, just, you know, outlook and also just reminding each other hey we're we're in it to win it while also you know enlightening each other no i think so i think so and also but they, they don't really it's not a team that needs to be like reminded of it a lot um so uh, we don't really have to have thankfully we don't have to have a bunch of like powwows with okay you know you know get your stuff together or, you know, <laughs> it's really, you know, it's, it's basically just overcoming the challenges. But the other thing that we've been working very hard at is to um, expand upon what the festival is and the programs that we offer. So for instance, we have, um, we have a masterclass series that we've been developing. We're actually started developing it a couple of years ago, but we had to put it on the shelf because of COVID. Mm. Uh, I'd mentioned our board president is a, um, she's a college professor. And one of the things we're looking to do is at that, the, the, the college she teaches at state college in, in Leesburg, Florida. Um, that is, something where we'd have a quarterly masterclass series that would focus on different, you know, elements or aspects of filmmaking. I mean, it could be anything from, you know, how to screenwriting to music composition to uh, CGI special effects. It could be um, distribution. There could be any number of those. And we created a fairly comprehensive uh, quarterly series for that. But unfortunately with the college shutting down and everything, that we've kind of had to put it in a holding pattern we're hoping that we can actually launch it in calendar year 2023 and it's also a scholarship 
generating program for um, for humanities uh, student that that would be selected for it. So that's something we've done. Um, we've increased the programming in the Central Florida Film Festival itself, uh, as far as adding categories, um, trying to expand the panels we do, bringing in industry professionals that can work with the filmmakers, whether they're amateur or professional who, who come out to the festival um, and speak to, again, speak to different aspects about things. So whether it's, you know, how to get, you know, distribution or how to get financing how to get how to get a crew um, we had kind of a soup to nuts panel this year where it was concept to completion it was a microcosm because you know you're talking about a panel that's on for maybe two two and a half hours but it's things that we can offer on the educational side as well as as the um the the material and the films that we screen throughout the festival weekend very nice uh and so you got a array of different genres. Uh, what, what do you think, which genre do you think has hit uh, more closely to the audiences, uh, uh, you know, who, who visit the festival? Which one do you think has a bigger, uh, more popularity there? Um, genres, it's hard to peg down genres. Um, obviously there's people that come in because when you have a short block, for example, it's say, well, these are comedies or these are horror. So people that like horror, um, which tend to be the almost, I think the best audiences in general, like even with the general public, um, because horror films or horror fans will give an unknown entity a chance, you know, mm -hmm. So it's not predicated on, well, who's in it or what's it about? It's really more, I mean, they're interested in the concepts, but it, but horror fans will more likely take a chance on something that they have no idea what they're walking into, even with wide releases. So like, you know, if you look at the box office now, I mean, what's making money? It's either these, you know, movies like, you know, like the Marvel films or horror films. So that's why these Jordan Peele movies are making money hand over fist because people love horror. And as long as your last movie was good, they'll, they'll come out and support the next one. So we do get those at the festival, even though we're not horror specific. Um, although those festivals do well, uh, horror and uh, religion uh, festivals like faith-based movies, usually if it's a genre-specific festival, those two tend to do rather well. For festivals like us that um, kind of run the gamut in terms of what we uh, select and what we screen, usually more than a genre, it's, um, it's short films as mm -hmm. opposed to feature films. Because when you go to a film festival regardless of the size and regardless of how many days it runs time is your enemy at a, it was like going going to a theater a fringe festival you only have a certain amount of time that you can spend seeing all the things you want to see uh films panels etc and one of the problems you have is time so let's say there's a feature film that's two hours a lot of times, regardless of what that movie is, whether it's a, a narrative film, whether it's a documentary film, one of the things is people before the film starts will ask themselves, well, this movie's two hours. If for whatever reason I don't like it, regardless of how well the movie's made, if I don't like it, that's two hours I can't get back. 
Mm -hmm. as opposed to if they went to say uh, short films so if they go to a short film screening uh regardless of the genre and there are short blocks tend to run anywhere between an hour and 10 to an hour and 30 minutes worth of films uh, of all lengths with the shorts at least they say well if i didn't like this movie it's going to be over in 10 minutes i might like the next one so they get more variety they can like literally see more movies in the short blocks so those tend to attract uh, audiences a little bit more than um, a little bit more than the feature length, unless the feature length is something that they like absolutely know that they're going to get a charge out of. So, like if it's a documentary about a subject that they're really really into, then they'll just go and see that. But by and large, I would say it's at least from our experience, it's less the genre and more is it a short or a feature. Hmm. Gotcha. And uh, all together, um, uh, any uh, directing duos that you see kind of being crafted out of this festival? Have you seen any uh, collaborations just kind of start rising? Um, yeah, I, here and there, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, and I think some of that actually even happened before it was handed off to us. Um, I mean, we have new filmmakers, obviously, um, that submit every year, um, but there are also returning filmmakers. Um, the vast majority of them are local, um, mm-hmm. say the greater Orlando area, because where we are, like Mount Dora, a lot of people that don't live in Florida don't know where Mount Dora is, although some people strangely do, and it's kind of <laughs> like queer to me that they would know that. I remember <clears throat> when we were, um, the year the festival was being handed off to us, uh, Robert Carradine was one of the guests that Bob Cook had had at the festival in his last year. And I, he kind of came up to me and struck up a conversation about, oh, you're moving it to Mount Dora. That's so cool. Mount Dora is a neat little town. And I'm thinking, well, how the hell do you know where Mount Dora is? Like, you live in L.A., you're, you know. So it's just a kind of a weird thing. But um, <laughs> so we're, but we're about, like, say, 45-ish depending how fast you drive, we're like 45-ish minutes northwest of Orlando. So a lot of these Metro Orlando filmmakers um, will kind of know each other, and they also will collaborate. And and we love to see that, you know? Or filmmakers, like, if we're their first film festival and they're making their premiere, but then all of a sudden they'll call you like a year later and say, Oh, Hey, you know, I got distribution or, Oh, you know, I got, we're in these other festivals or something like that. It's always nice. Cause we, you know, we were very tight knit with our filmmakers as much as we can be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we support their success with, um, with, with the rest of their festival circuit tour. And also hopefully they do get somewhere with the movie. Very nice. Uh, what What are three pieces of advice you want to leave with just anybody getting into this industry? Um, as far as submitting to festivals or the industry itself? Uh, I, you can do either one, but uh, definitely when applying to festivals, definitely if you could shed a little light on um, that. Well, I think as far as the as far as the industry, it's easy because there's no right answer for it, um, other than just keep trying to work. I mean, whatever, you know, in whatever capacity that it is, if you're a filmmaker, go out and make movies, you know, don't, don't waste time, you know, trying to figure out the right time. There's no right time. 
and I mean that's ubiquitous, I think, whether you're a screenwriter or a director, a producer, all three of those, if you're an actor, you know, show up and do the best job you can and keep keep doing good work. And that's where success kind of finds you, you know. So a lot of these people that are famous, I mean, they'll tell you that fame's kind of an accident. It just usually happens because you show up and you just keep doing a good job. And then you're either prepared for it or you're not when opportunity knocks. Uh, as far as the festivals go, uh, I do your research. Um, festivals, the vast majority of festivals um, are on Film Freeway. That's where the filmmakers usually submit to. And But do your research. Like, look at the festivals. Like, if you're going to, like, plan a festival tour, which uh, is sometimes the closest that you get as a filmmaker that you get to a wide release, especially if the festivals are held in, in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. um, do your research, like know what festivals you're looking at in what regions. Uh, um, a lot of times you should do them close to home. So if you, you know, if you lived in Orlando, we would be a great choice. Um, there are obviously a bunch of other, I mean, there's, I think on film freeway, there's close, if not more than, uh, 200 film festivals only just in the state of Florida alone. Um, film festivals are, are like a dime a dozen now. I hate to say that, but do your research. I mean, is the, is the festival, uh, is it a startup or is it a legacy festival? Has it been around for five, 10, 15, 20 years? Is it screening in a movie theater or a community center or somebody's garage? Um, Mm. might sound silly but you some you, you never know with festivals you have to do your research what do they require uh what prizes uh or awards do they give is is the film that you're sending applicable to what that festival programs for and you can always reach out to the festivals you can you know whether or not they're accepting submissions at that time you could always call and say hey i got this movie do you think it would be a good fit um, so that would be like the, the first one. And I'm trying to compress this too, as well for your time. I don't want to sound like, like a, like a rambling, crazy person, um, <laughs> which I am. Um, the other thing too, is, um, make sure, I, and I guess this kind of goes both ways, but I mean, make sure if you're going to pay anybody on your movie, pay the sound guy, yeah. uh, because sound is like, sound is the only element of a film that's purely technical so you know your your director of photography might like shoot something at a weird angle um the an actor might make a weird choice that ends up in the movie the, the music might be some odd or misplaced all that stuff can be chalked up to artistic sensibilities on beyond the part of the director but bad sound is bad sound mm -hmm. and we've had a number of films that get submitted where the sound of the audio just cut out and i've reached out to filmmakers before they're selected while it's going through the judges and the judges are kind of like or, or the selection committee and there's like yeah is this the master sound or is this a like a work print where the sound, the master's not in right this it's is something fun. not good translated uh, I, i've been to it before i was at one festival which i'll remain unnamed and it was just very frustrating because these people have been doing it for like two years now so it's like well there's no excuse like i know you have a budget but why don't you get <laughs> if there's one thing you know people can forgive uh out of focus shot they can forgive a plot hole or 
an acting mishap if it's otherwise already decent but yeah if they can't hear anything they're just gonna walk out <laughs> well, and, and a lot of times that i've seen that when like like again people on the selection committee will come back to me and say hey is that like the uh is that the work print or is that the final sound mix because there's a difference like we like our not all festivals do we do as long as the the they tell us the filmmakers who are submitting oh by the way this is a work print like this isn't the final like what we, if we get selected we'll have a final mix and and the final print and all that um because again everybody on our team's filmmakers so like i can watch a work print and know okay well this is a little jinky but it'll get fixed but when they come back and say no 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 no, that's the final sound mix it's like yeah you, you realize because it's something too and i don't know if you've noticed this will i'll say to them you do realize like that scene where your audio up cuts or just drops like that you could have cut that scene like mm -hmm. you didn't even need it for the it wasn't even germane to the plot like you could have cut it and it's nobody would notice it so killing your darlings is a thing too like you know but that that's something that'll help you with festivals um knowing uh being very cautious about how you ask for waiver codes is something because we get um i mean dozens and dozens every year um, we get uh, requests by filmmakers who say to ask for a submission fee waiver. Um, oh, wow. Now, which I, I mean, I can intellectually, I get it. I mean, um, but the thing is, most festivals you deal with, ours included, is a, we're nonprofit. So a lot of the income that we get for operating costs to put on the festival comes from sponsors donors grants submissions and then you know it, selling passes for the event itself um we don't have like giant corporate coffers so what we get these emails from filmmakers who a lot of times they shotgun email you could tell they send it out to like hundreds of film festivals mm -hmm. in the hopes that maybe five of them we'll say sure we'll give you a fee a, a waiver code and then maybe a couple of those will actually let them into the festival like they'll get accepted um but what you don't want to do is that uh and the other thing that I, I it's i was almost like stunned almost like you know when you see a goat like get stunned and fall over um i kind of had that reaction i got an email last year where a filmmaker, and I'm not lying, I'll even send you the email just to show you, like, yeah, this is something that happens. Uh, a filmmaker uh, sent us an email that said, hey, uh, we're, we made this movie, it's about this, they sent the trailer and all, and they said, yeah, we got accepted into, like, all, and they listed, I don't know what it was, like, 10 festivals that they got accepted <laughs> into, and they said, but we're now, we or we kind of blew through our festival budget. Is there any way that you would like give us a waiver code to submit to you guys? And the way my brain immediately translated that was, so, hey, we got into all these festivals that we really wanted to get into. Now will you let us into your piece of shit for free? You know? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what that sounded like. And it's like, the last thing as a filmmaker that you would want to do is try to get, go at a film festival to get a, a an entry fee waiver by saying that you're broke. 
because a lot of these festivals are broke or scrapping for every dollar that they can get to put on the best festival possible for the filmmakers. So they have a great experience. You know, our venue is not cheap. Our, you know, what we take to put on the festival for the filmmakers isn't cheap. So that's something too. If you're going to ask, and I always, we actually just did this on a panel at the festival, uh, our festival a couple weeks ago. If filmmakers do want to ask for a waiver or feel or or they are out of money the best way to do it is to research the festival and then explain to the festival how if they get a waiver and then if they get selected what they can do to help the festival whether they want whether it's promotional they're going to bring a bunch of people who will pay to see their movie whatever that thing is it becomes qui bono like, well, if we're doing for you, what are you going to do for us? And I don't mean for that to sound stingy. It's just like the economic reality of running a film festival. And Absolutely. And after hearing those guys, like you say, just kind of act like demean you or act like, oh, well, you know, we just can't bother to be professional is don't 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 get me wrong. This kind of brought me into another question, how uh some people won't look at the terms of use of a festival and they realize oh in order to be you know considered or even have it played you have to actually be in attendance uh and sometimes you just got to say well i'm I'm not able to make it but no one else has to know that you know it's just well and we don't well that's not um attendance is not a um a requirement for us to be selected um and if we did i think it would be i think if any festival did it would be a very cruel thing um we have especially the last couple years with covid um which we were able to sidestep and not do a virtual festival um only by virtue of the fact that we did move the festival out of september um just to get it out of hurricane season but we did that at the end of 2019 before covid was a thing and then all of a sudden covid blew up in whatever it was february or something of 2020 Mm -hmm. so by pushing the festival four months out we didn't have to worry about a festival in the calendar year 2020 it went from it would have been september 2020 but it instead became january of 2021 for our whatever that was the 15th annual festival so we were able to have an in-person festival because our theater was opened up by that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but again, if, if we had required filmmakers to be there in person, um, a lot of our filmmakers who were from, let's say, parts of Europe, I know the UK for sure, um, parts of like the Middle East, parts of Asia, they were under different quarantine and lockdown uh, protocols and they wouldn't have been able to make it. And I, we wouldn't have penalized them for that. Um, I mean, we love it for our filmmakers to show up, but it it almost never happens. We've never had a hundred percent turnout any year for all the filmmakers that that um, that we select. But that's again, it's not a requirement. Um, but the the I'm not trying to double back, but the um, the ones that are asking for fee uh, entry fee waivers a lot of times are laurel hunters too you know they yeah. just want to get accepted into festivals so they can get a bunch of festival laurels on their poster not realizing that as a filmmaker if you clutter it doesn't matter you could get accepted let's say your movie's phenomenal and you get accepted to a hundred film festivals mm-hmm. um that's great but don't put a hundred laurels on your 
poster because a lot of times people that like run festivals start to ignore that especially if it's nobody that anyone's heard of like if you get accepted into like you know tiff telluride south by southwest tribeca so okay great put it on your put it on your poster but if if you've got like you know uh i don't know something from the um i'm trying to think like the the you know mosquito bite missouri film festival or something that nobody's heard of like yeah don't put that on your if that, if if that's one of a if you have a hundred of them like that don't put it on there just pick the best pick the ones that are the most uh, either long in the tooth or prestigious or have some other element to them that'll make you shine because sometimes less is more and do it that way. If you do too many laurels, you're you're almost looking like, you know, that that like middle-aged dude that buys like a, you know, a Lamborghini or something like, look at me. And you're like overcompensating for something. Uh, that and they, they kind of want to be the first one still, right? to premiere your short and if they see that you've applied to like 11 others they're already probably less likely to take it oh no for sure yeah um and i think but again part of that like with the waiver crowd a lot of that comes to the fact that you know when you're as a filmmaker when you're putting your your film you know when you're when you're in pre-production even when you're in development always do almost like when you do a film budget and you add a contingency you should almost think of a film festival run or a film festival uh, budget at that point. And this way, you know, oh, we're going to need X amount of dollars to submit to festivals once the film's done. Because mm -hmm. once the film's done, you shouldn't then think about, oh, well, where are we going to go? And how are we going to submit to festivals? That should always be a part of the thinking of where the money's going to come from. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, I lost my train of thought. You had something good too. Um, but as far as the, um, oh, it's, yeah, you were talking about um, premiership. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There is a number of festivals that require premiership, uh, some for features, some for shorts, some for both. Uh, you see it more with features, far more with features. Um, now, there are some festivals that maybe do require premiership status for a short but there's some absolutely like you're not getting into sundance or toronto or something unless you're the, the world premiere as far to my knowledge um unless they they may have changed the rules recently uh or since i checked last but a lot of those festivals do require it to be the world premiere of the film other ones are more are regional so for example um, I'm, I'm going to call them out on this, but I'm not using it as a strike. And I have friends on their board and, and who run it. Um, the Orlando Film Festival, which is the closest festival to us in terms of name, size, or, or comparative uh, festivals in uh, in this region. Um, the Orlando Festival does require a feature film to be the world premiere in whatever the mile radius is of orlando mm -hmm. um so if they let's say like back when when senflow was in front of orlando in the calendar year if there was a film that senflow accepted and orlando accepted orlando would disqualify it if it screened at senflow before orlando mm -hmm. so it is something to pay attention to again but this goes back to that thing we were saying with like looking in the rules and looking at what 
what uh, what are the requirements of the festival? Because it's going to be shame on you or shame on whoever on your team that submitted it if you send if you submit your film to a festival and you get accepted without having read the rules and then all of a sudden you have to withdraw because there's a requirement in there that let's say um got overlooked because you're not going to get the money back for the submission you're out you're out whatever that is um and sometimes it can be quite high depending on the festival so that's why it's very important for for filmmakers to be, you know, to do their diligence and to to read the rules and and to see what the requirements are um, on a, on a festival by festival basis because all festivals are different. Um, some festivals will require DCP copies of their films for features, but not for shorts. Now we require DCP copies of the films uh, for features and for shorts because that's. The, our, the format we require them in because our festival theater uses DCP projection and we want the films to screen exactly the way the filmmakers intended them to. And if we ran them through laptops and a DCP projector, I mean, you got frame rate issues, you can have coloration issues. If the file's corrupt, it'll get kicked out. And then mm-hmm. the filmmaker completely embarrassed because all of a sudden there, that happens to their movie. Uh, in real time in front of an audience so that's why it's important i mean we do a lot of follow-up i mean we don't make a secret about it it's the number one rule if you look us up on film freeway the number one rule that we put in there is you can put whatever format you want on film freeway but if you're selected we do require a dcp for your uh for your uh screening at the festival and it's so weird to me that like that like filmmaking is such like it's so difficult and being a filmmaker requires such ingenuity in terms of coming up with a really cool concept and having to figure out okay putting together a crew getting gear getting locations getting effects and costumes depending on what the genre is or vfx maybe practical effects and then doing that for very little to no money and they do these like a phenomenal job putting the movie together and then for whatever reason they get to that stage and they find out that oh i need to send a dcp they don't know what a dcp is and then all of a sudden all this ingenuity goes right out the window and they forget what google is Hmm. to look it up and we tell them all the time look like we can't because of our relationship to our curation partner because they have to send it to a, a company that we use in los angeles um, who are prof- a professional DCP company. Uh, we use those because of their quality control checks. Like for us to do the QC checks on our time, our side would take so much time that even our programming director and our programming coordinator would have to sit there looking at like 80, 90 hours worth of DCP footage. They just can't. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, no. And, and we're, again, we're a nonprofit. Like nobody on our team is getting paid to do what we're doing. They're all like volunteer staff, essentially. So they wouldn't be able to do that. And so we do use a curation partner and it's free. And we tell the filmmakers it's free to send your DCP. No one, you don't have to pay for it. If you use them to make the DCP, it's not free, but you can absolutely make a DCP for free and send it to them. And they freak out about it. And that's where, that's like one of those things where we have to like, we, because of our uh, agreement 
with our curation partner, we can't explicitly tell the filmmakers, okay, go to this site, do this, and then send it over. Mm-hmm. Because that we're not, we're not supposed to do that. That's just, you know, it's part of the agreement that we have with this particular company. Um, but outside of that, you know, we can talk in code and say, look, you know, you can look online, like there, this is not, you absolutely can make a DCP for free. If you go onto this, you know, at certain sites, it's like Google it. I, we're not, I'm not trying to be dismissive about that when, you know, when I have to talk to them, but I'm like, just if I, I was like, I promise you, if you Google it, how to make a, sim, a DCP for free, you'll, yeah. it'll, it'll kick back with a lot of stuff. So it's just weird how that kind of happens where filmmakers panic about it. But again, that, that boils back around to, or boils down to, uh, how a lot of times filmmakers won't do the research on the festivals before they um before they do it but and so that's kind of like all the things i think that filmmakers can do to help themselves get into um get into different fests mm-hmm. and and also you know especially the ones that are just starting out start local you know like if if you live you live in orlando send it to us send it to the orlando film festival send it to any festival that's in the area if you live in you know austin texas send it to the austin film festival or send it to all the other festivals that are in the greater austin area because if you start local especially if you're just starting out as a filmmaker it'll it's a lot easier for your team to go to a local festival and support your film than if you sent it across the country because then they have to travel most festivals won't pay their submitters to fly to that city or to lodge them um again they just don't have the budgets if they're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love to uh you know if if i hit the you know whatever the what is it tonight the powerball or whatever it is tonight um if i hit it and all of a sudden i'm sitting on a big giant you know uh, Lord of the Rings dwarf pile of gold, I'll fly all the filmmakers out and lodge them. If money wasn't an option, I'd love to do that. And I'd love for them to all get to see their, see their movies in a state-of-the-art movie theater. Um, right. It's just the, again, it goes back to the economic realities of it, which is sort of, you know, um, which is the burden of every filmmaker, I think. It, us too, because again, we're all filmmakers. So every time we go to make a movie, it's it's the same thing. You're starting at zero trying to do uh, the best thing you can and put the best team together and, and ultimately make the best uh, film that you can under whatever circumstances or adversities that you're contending with. Yeah. It's just very exhausting because uh, you, you understand how, like you say, how some don't have a budget and then at the same time is like, well, do you value your time? You know? <laughs> sure. No. And but you have to do that. It's like, Oh, well, you know, Oh, we need some some character in my movie dies. Okay, well, who do I know that, that has a funeral home? And you know, and you do stuff like that, or you know, and hopefully you do it without having to pay for it. It's yeah, often the case, I think, with a lot of filmmakers. Because again, if you could, if you don't have to pay for something, that's that's better still. It's more money you have to feed the crew and pay the sound guy. Totally. You know, but um, yeah, I mean, that would be my response as far as um, as far as submitting to festivals um it's just really i mean take it seriously don't don't consider it an afterthought because you're it is sometimes the only wide release 
an indie film will get, even a short film. But if you go and you get into, you know, five, 10, 20, 30 film festivals, and you can go and make it to those festivals and network with the other filmmakers, that's your wide release. Just like if you were playing in a, you know, at a distribution deal. So treat it seriously because and that can benefit you because especially if you have a festival like i know for us like we go really hardcore on creating almost a petri dish for networking at our festival with Mm -hmm. uh, mixers and and trying to do everything we can to encourage filmmakers to come and stay and meet with other uh, filmmakers um you could meet your next producing partner there or your next collaborator whatever it is that you're going to do or maybe it's some a distributor or somebody who loved your movie and said hey i want to work with you or an investor who might say you know i'll put money and say i loved your movie i what you know i saw what you did with 10 grand i want to see what you could do with 100 grand or whatever it is something um, <laughs> so it's so important the you know the, you have to treat the festivals especially the indie ones these days as almost mini film markets to a degree especially if they have distributors showing up very nice uh, but what what uh, expectations do you guys have anticipating for uh, this coming year in 2024? Or too early to tell? Um, no, I mean, well, it, it it's 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 always one of those like easiest questions to answer, and then it sounds like a complete non-answer. Um, I know we'll have movies. Um. we'll have have a bunch of indie films uh like every year we you know i i i you never know what you're gonna get obviously um but i think that's true of the audiences as well i mean you know going to a if you're a film lover who goes to film festivals it's different than going to a hollywood film or studio film um Mm -hmm. you know that's it's almost like a scotch drinker you know you drink a blended scotch if you if you want consistency you drink a single malt if you want adventure well you go to a film festival you're getting adventure you want to go to go to a studio film if you want consistency um particularly because indie filmmakers aren't bound by the same constraints that that hollywood is because most indie filmmakers are doing it because they love movies or they love to make movies they love to tell stories Mm -hmm. uh you know any you know insert name of giant multimedia conglomerate hollywood studio here the studio doesn't have that luxury because hollywood long ago um has had the um they're in the unfortunate position of having a business model that contains an art form and art is subjective you never know what people are going to want to see it doesn't matter who the biggest box office smash actor or director is if they don't want to see the movie they're not going to go see it the audiences i mean so it doesn't matter who you have in it so if hollywood wanted consistently to make money you know they would have gotten into a widget making business i mean make anything other than movies you know make neckties make baseball hats make sneakers make pens or pencils or golf clubs don't make movies because it's art and you never know what if that movie's going to land or not um so but that's their business model so they have that's why you Mm -hmm. see so many sequels prequels remakes reboots soft reboots i think that's why you see that whereas any film loving audience that that goes to festivals is going for the adventure they don't care that they don't know who these filmmakers are or these actors are they've never seen the movie they like to do it because it's like you know what 
we're going to buy a pass and we're going to go see some crazy stuff that we we probably would never see and maybe meet the filmmakers if mm-hmm. they're there. So it's a totally different audience that goes to festivals. Um, even though, I mean, it's tough for us too because we have to fight to cut through the noise and get people kind of off their couches and off the streaming services and out to the theaters. Um, but in the end, it's it's worth it. And there's always people that show up that just love indie film. And those are the best audiences because they'll react to what they see or they you know get to talk to filmmakers and talk to them about their movie in ways that like... Um, they, they would never have that level of engagement with anything else. Um, Isn't that so, wild too? <laughs> yes. Well, and, and that's the thing is you don't know, you know, you, you there's no way of knowing that the person you're talking to at a festival is not going to be the next, I don't know. I mean, you could say Spielberg or Chris Nolan or they, they might be onto something, but just not have the people skills down yet or vice versa. They do have the sure. people skills, but they don't have the talent down yet, but, you don't know until you they know. could be 10, 10, five, 10 years away from being the next Ryan Johnson. I mean, Ryan Johnson, what were Ryan Johnson's credits other than Looper before he got tapped to direct a Star Wars? Movie? Yeah, Brick was a big sci fi neo noir. Looper. Yeah. But like a lot of that's like, that wouldn't be like, and then Star Wars. I mean, that's quite a jump. So that's like somebody does, you know, sends your movie to a film festival and 10 years later they're directing Star Wars or something, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know if they're not and that's why we we love like to uh celebrate the success of of filmmakers that have that are part of our extended filmmaking family that have sent us movies and we love to hear from them and say you know and some of the movies that they send us are just utterly unbelievable uh doesn't matter what genre doesn't matter what length we get movies i get short films where i just want to show people like I could put a festival together just of selected shorts that were just so good that I just want people to see these movies. It's like, it's like, you got to see this kind of thing, you know? Um, and, and the filmmakers are usually uh, very like contrite and not anything. They're not like, they don't have an arrogance about them or anything like that. Um, That's our, good. Best, uh, we had won this year. It actually won two awards. It was, it won for best suspense thriller short, and it won for best foreign project. We'll return after these messages. Hello, and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, For instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. No, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to. Anyways, be- uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say, breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, 
great breakfast wrecks and foodie debates, most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Was it like a, a movie about like Russian gangsters? It was a 15 minute like Russian mob oh. crime movie um, that was like phenomenal. It was utterly unbelievable. And the filmmaker, she's like, she can't, if she's 21, then that's about as old as she is. And she's, like a kid who's studying filmmaking in Scotland right now. I had to write visas for her um, to attend the festival this year, only because of the, um, the issues that are uh, Russian nationals are having because of the business in Ukraine, they're having a tough time getting into the U S so I had to write two visas for her to say, yeah, she's attending the festival. This is why she's coming into the United States and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, that's a great example of a filmmaker. Like you, if you saw her, she looks like she'd be at like a, I don't know, like a, a Burning Man concert or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Last person in the world you would look at and think, oh, yeah, she just made this out, this phenomenal now award-winning movie about you know, the Russian mafia. You know, it's so interesting. It's the people you meet are just uh, phenomenal at festivals. Film uh, Filmmakers go to festivals regardless of whether that they have a film in it. Yeah, it's a good networking uh, thing. Uh what are what are skills that you recommend for those trying to network with others just other than just be kind and courteous you know it seems like we have to sometimes remind everyone just stuff that should already be second nature <laughs> well the uh, i mean kind and courteous is that's true um always i think also and a lot of filmmakers that have have experience with it already know this um because you know with when you go to a film festival you know, and you have a screening of a film that you did and it's in a festival, it's kind of, it's different than if you do a private screening, even if you rent a theater, all the people that you invite, friends, family, you know, your crew and your cast and their friends and their family, they're all on your side. You know, they all want your movie to be great because they have a stake in it or they have a stake in you. And 
they're not going to tell you your movie sucks. They're just not because they're a friendly audience. But when you go to a film festival, that's like sending your kid to kindergarten for the first time because mm -hmm. you're not in front of a friendly audience. You know, you're in front of an audience where if they're filmmakers, they all think their movie's the most special thing in the festival. You know, it's personal to them all. So I think if yeah. you, I think if you can, um, I think if you know that, I think if you uh, understand that they care everybody about as much as their project as you do, and just be open. And I mean, they're just, they're people like anybody else. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to get people that some are really friendly, some who aren't, some who are difficult, some who are easy to talk to. Um, and it's, you know, where you would go to any sort of uh, networking convention of any kind uh, to meet with people um because i like go into a chamber of commerce meeting you know, mm -hmm. you know you're going to meet people that yeah they think their business is the best but they but how can you know how can we work together to do something is there something you know uh do i have a quality that you need for your next movie do you have a quality i need how can we how can we help each other out um, and really embrace the fact that we're all sort of in the same fight. We're just doing it. Um, you know, we're just fighting on different fronts, really. Right. It seems like it's a lost art at times. It really does. It seems like half the time everyone's so busy pitching themselves to each other instead of actually just worrying, hey, you know, do we get along first? You know, do we actually want to work together? Uh, well, that's if you pitch you never know either i mean i've had that too where people um we've had guests at the festival uh in years past who have pitched to us or well i shouldn't say that they've tried to pitch to us um i try to stop that immediately when they pitch to like to me anyway or people oh, on the night right. you don't need a script <laughs> well no no no, not even that i we've had to say well wait i want if you want to pitch me that's fine um, if you're staying in town, your hotel probably has a computer and a printer or the front desk does. I want a, um, I want you to give me an NDA before you tell me what it is you're going to tell me. Anything else, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want a non-disclosure agreement from you that I sign. And, I, and it's very specific because I've told them, look, you know, if I'm working with various production companies and we have anywhere, you know, from... 20 to 50 different pieces of ip i don't know that you're not going to tell me something that we're not already working on and then all of a sudden we turn around and make that movie and you sue me because you told me at a film festival right so always have a non-disclosure agreement you know if you're going to pitch something to somebody because first of all it's just smart i mean I'm not saying that I am, but how do they know I'm not some kind of a thief? And they tell me the greatest idea in the world is, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. And all of a sudden, I steal their idea, and, and I, I, the next day, I register it with the WGA or the Library of Congress, and then I steal their idea. Then I have to turn around and say, oh, yeah, I stole it from you. Prove it. So that you always have to think about that. Like, you should never, I don't think, freely tell your ideas without an NDA. Um doesn't mean you don't trust the person you're just protecting each other um and it, again it goes both ways because they don't know what we're working on mm -hmm. um, now i could tell them that after they tell me the idea but i much prefer an nda and a lot of times when they tell it to you though it's the goofiest thing in the world I'm like oh okay that's a funny idea okay you know right 
you know, it's just like, you know, you say, okay, I hope you make it. I hope it, I, I hope it's good enough that we can screen it for you. Mm-hmm. No, that, or just, again, you know, they might have a good idea. They just didn't promote it well, but yeah. you don't know until. No, but, for sure. But yeah, yeah I mean, that's so true. Well, why, why do you think so many people just, I mean, I, I would help out some film buddies and they just continually would just be like, like, I, I kid you not, I gave this one pal, who's no longer a pal, like some documents, like just NDAs and everything, and they just were not using it. And or and then the next day, they're like, oh, I lost it. Can you send it to me again? I'm like, dude, <laughs> this is like second nature. This should be. You should. Are you, are you talking about getting them to sign it or getting them to? Uh, they, they needed some NDAs, and they just could not help themselves. They would always find a way to just forget about it. It's like, oh. dude. There's no. no conversation until you have this paperwork signed. Then you can talk about whatever the hell. <laughs> I think that I I think that it's almost more. I, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm mitigating the the situation that you found yourself in, um, but I Please. think it. Go ahead. I think it's a fairly. I think it's even more basic than that. Um, and I'll I, I could cite myself as an example because I've directed uh, before and. Uh, film and theater and I, I could tell you right now I, I don't know jack shit about I'm sorry I'm cursing is this like it's a, fine it's fine okay yeah. um I, I I've been behaving myself I tend to I tend to use a, a wide range of vocabulary so I've been trying to censor myself at times uh, I just didn't know who this was airing to no, no, um, it's fine. but I but no I think it's it's I I, I could use myself as an example. I, I don't know jack shit about like technical things. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not really good with computers. I don't know anything. Like if I'm shooting a movie, I don't know anything about cameras. Um, I can articulate a shot to somebody, but I'm not the one that's going to do that. I don't know the difference in the lenses. I don't know any of that stuff. And a lot of times with films, if they have a first assistant director, especially on an indie that does the breakdown, does budget top sheets and before even full budgets for them if the upm doesn't or if they are sharing roles with that so really the director is often the person that needs to know almost the least on a film set and i can say that having been a director who knows the least on a film set but the reason i think that your quandary could perhaps be more basic than just an nda is i've dealt with that on this end as well where if I find that if the filmmaker or if the director rather is the one sending us the film on film freeway, they're the ones that tend to have the most problem. If it's something technical, like a DCP conversion or something like that, they get flustered. They don't know what they're doing. They act like it's a surprise. It's because there's a thing with directors where they're almost like the nutty professor. It's almost like mm -hmm. not all, not all of them. I, I don't, don't want to sound like a, I don't want people saying, oh, well, this, just that's some the in this particular instance. Yeah, that's right. fine. There, there is a certain uh, so I'm being diplomatic about this because, again, I don't want people thinking, oh, this festival director is like contemptuous of filmmakers. It, there's a certain clade of directors that lack a certain amount of technical expertise and personal organization, which I would expand email reading emails that contain moving parts mm -hmm. and 
it's funny to me because again, it's, it takes all this effort and energy to make a movie and skill. And then, it, it, then they just totally go to pieces when it's something that's like simple or something you're asking them to do. Um, it becomes, and that's again, not all the vast majority of filmmakers. I have no problem with it all. Matter of fact, you don't even have to hold their hand or do anything. You just, they, they read their stuff. They do their research. They know what to do and, and that's it. And they don't have to, they don't, they're, they're fine. You don't have to do anything with them. But there's this other little sort of sliver of the community that are, it, it's like, it, they're not the nutty professor. They, they're, they're smart. They, they're, they're creative. They're artistic. They're brilliant. But you give them anything that requires any sort of streetwise or any sort of like finesse, right? they just go to pieces. So I don't think the problem, I, it could just be that they don't read things. Um, because I deal every year, I deal with a, a certain whatever the percentage is it's always in its proportion very well could be but uh, yeah they don't read their emails they don't know i mean i had somebody i had a, a filmmaker i mean we send out scores of emails throughout the year to our filmmakers checking up on them and, and seeing if they uh if they need help with anything and all this with the dcps for instance and uh, i had a filmmaker the day before our, our uh festival portal closed on our curation partners website I had this is the day before the thing closed, not to, not to send them the DCP, just to fill out the portal information so that the, the curation company would know uh, what festival the film belonged in. I had a filmmaker uh, text our operations director asking, hey, what's a DCP? And it's like, you were selected like months ago. Now this is a, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, I think it's just getting certain people just don't like to read emails. And that's the other thing. That's another good piece of advice to give filmmaker. Keep your contact information up to date on Film Freeway. It's the only way that we have. If we don't know you, that's the only way that we have to get in touch with you. So make sure your email's up to date. Make sure your phone number's up to date. Make sure it's not nothing stale dated because... If it is, the, the festival that you're submitting to is no way to get in touch with you. And that does happen. I've had to actually track people down on Facebook before uh, <laughs> who I could not get in touch with. Like, they, they, you call them, number's out of service. Email, clearly sale dated because they're not answering anything on the email. So, yeah, it's, it's really just that. I, I think it, it's not complicated. It's very, it's common sense stuff until you realize common sense sometimes isn't that common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Altogether, I mean, uh, that that this is definitely a good way to close this out. Um, uh, what 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 do you recommend doing when, again, you know, you've had a good film shoot, you've have some promising, you know, festivals screen your short or independent picture at, and just at the very last minute, you know, someone reveals, hey, you know. We we failed to get all the proper paperwork signed. Uh, well, what's the best way to remain calm and just try and get it figured out? Or when when it? you see paperwork, uh, just uh, I, I want to answer your question uh, as best as I can. When you say uh, paperwork signed, are you talking about some kind of a qualifier for the festival, or are you talking about something like uh, just in general, like, like, like someone? music rights or something yeah you you had written permission but you lost the paper or someone oh. gave you a, a promise but you know that was in that was verbal it wasn't and someone just did not 
right you know i I get it sometimes like you say it is just people being dumb and other times you know they collected all the paperwork but they forgot just one there was just one that got away uh what 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 do you recommend doing then um well if i I think the first and foremost i think in any situation at anywhere along the process once your film is selected by a festival uh it if you have a problem uh just for like anything um you're not sure uh you're unfamiliar with the format that the festival requires um you want information on like what good hotels are in the area or what you know what goes into you know how they should approach the festival uh or like you said somebody maybe the music rights didn't get cleared or you're worried about having the final print ready before the the cutoff date if they if you, the festival yep. needs materials call the festival call the festival um you know anyone who calls it that we're on the side of the filmmakers like i want your movie to screen and i want it to be a, a huge success for you i'm on your side um if the earlier we know the better but that's absolutely 100 happened i had a, i had filmmakers that they were i i don't know why they waited this long but they were from i feel like they were from like sweden or something and they weren't going to be done posting their film until like i don't know like four days before our festival now <laughs> we had already accepted them into they had sent us a work print um but i told them look i mean like if we're up against a wall and we have to make a DCP for you, I'll do that. I'll do whatever it takes to get you to screen, but I need that film. Otherwise I'm screening a work print, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you can get it and they, they did get it to us. And luckily they let us know early enough that they were going to be coming in late on the, on the deadline, but always just reach out to the festival. Um, Because if a festival, uh, whoever you talk to on the staff, like I'm very approachable. Like if they call the send flow, like our main number, probably 99 times out of a hundred, they're going to be talking to me anyway. Cause I usually have the far, it's a mobile number. Um, I usually have it with me, particularly like on season when it's closer to the festival, mm-hmm. um, but they can always leave a message. They can text it. I mean, I'm, I'm very accessible. I don't try to, I don't hide behind anybody because ultimately I'm going to be the one who has to answer most of the questions as it is, but call the festival or email the festival, explain what it is. Um, and if the festival, for whatever reason, has some kind of a cop of shit attitude about helping you, you probably don't want to be in that fest. Probably, that's not right. going to be a good experience for you. I mean, every festival should treat, you know, like they're incubating baby, you know, chickens or something. Like it should be something where all of the films are very special and like a nursery like you you want all of them to succeed you want all of them to to be you know have a great screening look great sound great have the audience reaction to be stellar the other filmmakers to be impressed i mean you mm-hmm. want you're rooting for the films you're rooting for the filmmakers so yeah if a festival gives you an attitude that's like there there shouldn't be a reason for that um, it's probably not a festival you even want to be in if they do that. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you usually find out too late. But I mean, we as filmmakers, we've been in bad festivals. And so we really kind of like, no, okay, we're not doing that. You know, well, right. whatever that happens to be. Oh, totally. And there's just no reason for it, like you say. And yeah. 
No, just stay in contact. Reach out to them. I mean, in of the vast majority, well, I shouldn't say that. That's that's speculative. A lot of independent film festivals are run by filmmakers, so they'll get the same. Uh, you know, you, you could talk the same language to them, and you, you get the same. Like, if there's a problem, that filmmaker can help you out with it because you know the person running the festival is probably a filmmaker. Um, maybe not the gigantic festivals necessarily but certainly a lot of the indie festivals um makers mm-hmm. um you know and they're doing it for the same reason the filmmakers are it's just the love of film so yeah always stay in contact with them um i know for us of course we're you know we're always rooting for the film, uh, filmmakers and that's why we're always trying new things i got i'm right in the middle of something now where we have an expansion project where our the founder of our festival came to us with trying to do um like a a, not an offshoot because it's not a separate festival but a program of our festival we're doing it um, on a cruise ship um so not the main festival but an but an expansion program festival uh that'll be uh screening on a cruise ship uh, sometime in uh, september so we're we're finalizing that right now so you're always trying to do stuff that's going to be fun and and um you know engaging for the filmmakers to have and, and stay organic mm-hmm. uh, I, I like that especially staying organic um uh, why do you think so many uh people just uh well, one trend i'm also seeing is people will complain about movies being unrealistic and yet kind of not heed those words then they'll play around with some cool acting but not try to make just a very realistic kind of movie uh do you feel like uh a lot of people could benefit by again you know hanging out at these festivals even taking acting courses even if they're not planning on being an actor and more of a filmmaker (laughs) well acting courses always help um you know i mean film acting is obviously it's completely different than um acting on stage i mean i've done both and i mean i still do actually i just wrapped up a, a oh congrats on a film oh i wouldn't congratulate me yet i haven't seen the movie I'm, i could be awful in it um but i've done um you know having done stage and having done uh film i find that like one of the things that it would behoove anybody that's into acting to you know understand uh it's night and day i mean it's like you know it would be like somebody i'm not comparing myself to michelangelo by any stretch of the imagination so i don't i don't want to seem like all of a sudden it's like whoa this guy's ego just blew up but like if you took somebody like a michael <laughs> uh you know michelangelo could he was a great you know he could sculpt but he could also paint but he he had to use different techniques and different tools for each. They weren't the same thing. And I think that if mm-hmm. someone acts in film or acts in theater, you know, it's, which is a, a, tons of actors do that. Um, it's a completely different skill set that they require to do them because I mean, let's face it, you know, when you if you're acting in a movie, you never you never play the part, and people right. think you do, but you never really play the part. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like. Oh, walk through a door. All right, that's it. Okay, go to lunch, come back. All right, um, now we're going to get you walking up to the door. So it's all like bits and pieces and slivers and moments of it, all juxtaposed out of order that you hope that you could, you know, over the days, weeks, months, however long the movie takes a shoot, 
that you hope you could put something together for the for the director and the editor to cobble into some some semblance of a uh, you know a, a linear narrative at the end of it um it's like somebody dumped a puzzle all over the floor and you're just like working on like painting one little piece at a time whereas stage acting is the opposite i mean you get to once the thing's put together you you play the role from a to z front to back you know live in front of an audience no cuts no stops no retakes it's utterly different experience and that's why a lot of actors they don't say this a lot but a lot of them that i've talked to they much prefer theater to film um that have done both and um i i was actually actually at sunflow what before this handed off this i was talking to an actor who's he's been in just scores of things i mean he's just got done shooting the new uh, Beverly Hills Cop, and he was in the original, both all the original Beverly Hills Cops, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, his name's uh, John Ashton, and we were like, I, he and I spent like an hour and a half talking about Sam Shepard plays. You know, like it's not that a lot of times film actors are like they look at that as their job, but it finances a lot of the things that the plays and smaller films and things would like to do, right. And, um so that's so taking acting less i mean yeah i should uh, that always helps but it's also just go and do it you know um you know you can study auto mechanic you know uh skills in a book as long as you want but until you get under a car you're not going to understand why certain things need to be a certain way um and you can always find film students and and uh ultra low budget indie filmmakers who need actors to work for free? It's the easiest on-the-job training you can get. Um, all you have to do is be bad in a move in a few movies, and you'll be like, "Oh, I'm not going to do that again," mm-hmm. or "Oh, that was a stupid thing," you know. And if the director knows what they're doing, they'll tell you, "Yeah, you're being too big. Just tamp it down. Just don't." You know, you're doing you're doing the theater acting. We need you to do the film acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. I, I think if, if that was the question we had to do, no, that no, that I answered it pretty thoroughly um all together um so uh turnout has has been pretty good and you've been learning lots and meeting great people um uh just before we go uh just uh just as a reminder for people just you know getting up first thing in the morning who you know live and breathe film um uh, uh how do you recommend uh they organize their day if anything uh, that might help Oh, what a a question. Um, No, no, no. Um, As far as organizing their day, um, the first answer that would come to me, and I would, because it would be how, what I would have to do. um, I would say they have to, they have to be very attuned um, to their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, If you're a procrastinator, don't let that little voice in your head say, well, you know if you're writing a script or if you're organizing a film as a director producer both uh well you know i'll write better tomorrow or i'll be in a better headspace tomorrow no 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 no. don't do that don't bs yourself just do it like now um be very attuned to the necessities of your own instrument um make sure that um if you need to get something done today do it today as far as organizing your day you know better than anyone else would know you. Uh, when do you operate better? I mean, do you get up in the morning and you're, you know, 
you're perky, you're a morning person, or you're more productive, then knock all your shit out before noon. And then in the afternoon, maybe plan for the next day or, or in the evening, do that or take a break and then go back to it. Um, I think it's the actual like organizational uh, forces at play would be different for, for different people, depending on what they're um, for, for, when they do their work better it's why you talk you hear some novelists will say well i love to write like the second i get up in the morning i'll go i'll go drink coffee or whatever or booze who knows writers are they find inspiration the muse does different things for them but they might you know get up in the morning and that's when they write other ones will say no i write better at like one in the morning or at midnight or something (laughs) you'll know when when the right time is for you but you have to organize around that like the epicenter of your productivity and when you can get the most done of what you have to do mm-hmm. um assuming it's not stuff you have to do during like let's say business hours if it's something where you could you know you obviously you can't you know you can't sit there calling up uh you know uh an equipment rental company uh for gear at like one in the morning like that's not going to happen no um, but also, but do that and, and don't get caught up like, you know, in the minutia of like self doubt or waiting to say, oh, well, you know, if I just, if I hold off and I keep tinkering with this project, then it'll be perfect. It's like, you know, perfection is an illusion. Uh, there is no such thing as perfection. Um, if there was, then, you know, everything would have stopped a long time ago when it came to the arts. It doesn't matter if you're an actor or a writer or producer a a composer anything uh there is no perfect like uh, what's your perfect take on a movie or what's the perfect performance as an actor you might give on stage you know perfection is subjective it means something different to other people what you know what you might think of as the perfect uh you know partner in life or spouse or something is different than someone else is going to think but once i think once the people that work in the arts realize in any art form, really, uh, once they realize that perfection's an illusion, they're no longer sort of shackled to it. And they're no longer uh, bound by the constraints of what they think they have to do to get something just perfect. And all of a sudden, their creative choices uh, become boundless with where they can take mm-hmm. whatever it is they're doing, whether it's a story choice, whether it's an acting choice, whether it's a directing choice or a you know anything anything that has to do with the arts because it's all subjective and don't wait till it gets perfect because it's just what's going to happen is you're not going to do it you know it's it's a it's a tool for putting off something that you're maybe worried about somebody feeling or criticizing like not feeling great about this you know and all this I, i i know people like that i know people that will tinker with a project forever um because they're worried that putting it out in the ether opens them up to criticism, but you have to, and then you just ignore it. You know, you don't have to pay attention to the criticisms. You don't have to listen to them. Just go yeah. on and the project. You know, hopefully by the time the, the, the last thing comes out, you'll be on the next thing. And you won't have time to worry about what the hell people think about it. And who cares what people think about it? You know, you shouldn't do it for that. No, very good. Because uh, I will see so many people who, is like they've uh, they've encountered like a bunch of reception, but they're just getting just bugged down by just 
just easily avoidable stuff like well this person doesn't believe in me i'm like then find someone who doesn't believe in you (laughs) you know do you think lloyd kaufman gives a shit what people think about it no (laughs) nader did roger corman or charles who made family operated businesses yeah no but yet he's to this day he's still making movies he's still Mm -hmm. the exact same way he's done it for pre-video store days um you don't have to worry about that. If you're caught up in, if you're caught up in, in, in an image, you're going to, I think, ultimately, you're, you're going to play to that. Like, you're, you're going to be almost like playing a version of yourself rather than just being mm-hmm. worried about what, how people are going to perceive you, um, which you have no control over anyway. You know, um, right. somebody asked, I, I mean, I don't know that, I don't know that the statistics are right, although I think it was just him spitballing. But I remember somebody um, shortly before the Phantom Menace came out. Somebody asked George Lucas, "Like, do you think people are gonna like these the the Star Wars prequels?" And Lucas had said that, you know, he's like, "Look, honestly, he's like, I find I think that for every one person that loves it, two people are gonna hate it, and three people won't care less." You know, and you just approach it like that. Like, it doesn't really matter um it's it's out there some people will love it some people will hate it and some people they won't see it some people won't care um you know but nobody's gonna be affected or or concerned about the the desired outcome or impression of something than the person that's making that like other than you really you know than the person who is worried about it um mm-hmm. and everybody's like that early on you know the first you know, a couple movies I was ever in as an actor. I was do, doing the same stuff. I was worried about getting it just right and doing this and that. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm an actor. I have no control over any of this shit. You know, I, they could they could use whatever, you know, the director and the editor are going to use whatever take they want. They could cut the whole scene and cut me out. You could well, give it your all and they could still just say, you know, no. Yeah, I, <laughs> so now I give, I give it everything I can do as an actor anyway. I give it everything that I can possibly give it um and then completely divorce myself once it's over emotionally from the outcome of whatever it is and then trust the director and trust the editor that i gave them something that's going to help hopefully enhance whatever it is whatever story it is they're trying to tell and just do it that way um and not be precious about it and honestly there's no point especially if you're an actor in a movie because what are you going to do like if the next day something if all of a sudden like if you and i had a scene in a movie together and then tomorrow we're working on another scene and uh you and i come oh you know what shit this would have been a thousand times better if we do the take like this we're not going back and shooting that again no yeah so somewhere in the five six seven whatever takes of the what we did is the best we were ever going to be Mm-hmm. it's not like if we were in a play and we come up with that and say, oh you know what tomorrow night we can do this okay great well tomorrow night you can have another shot movies you don't so i always think it's you kind of just have to just leave it there and same thing if you're directing i mean you have to chalk things up to happy accidents and be willing to accept uh serendipity wherever it sort of rears its head you know because actors actor everybody on the set i mean it could be anybody it's gonna they're gonna come up with accidental goofy weird shit that you didn't plan for and could never plan for that could yeah. be seen a thousand times better you know 
uh, just because they made a weird choice or somebody made a suggestion on the set. And it could be anybody. Like, I'll take ideas as a director. I'll take ideas from anybody. Somebody, I don't know if the PA could be like, you know, it'd be kind of funny or it'd be kind of goofy if so-and-so did this. All right, we'll try it. What's the worst we could do? Just don't use it? Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so that's the whole thing. It's remember, we're it's art and we're having fun and it's it's entertainment. You know, I mean, yeah, there are, there's, you know, levels to it and there's stuff that, you know, maybe, and obviously documentary filmmaking is an entirely different subject altogether. But I think, but for the most part, when you, um, when you're doing it, just remember, I mean, take the work really seriously, but don't take yourself that seriously. You know, life's too short to not have fun. And, you know, um, and that's kind of like my philosophy. I take, I take Senflow, the Central Florida Film Festival, very seriously. I take the work I do producing and writing and acting and directing and, and anything uh, extremely seriously. I don't take myself seriously at all. I don't care if I look stupid doing something. Who cares? Whatever. You know, because some people are going to think I look stupid anyway. Other people might be like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, <laughs> sorry, sorry for them. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but really it's yeah i mean just remember don't you know don't lose yourself in it you know and in, in that way in that respect and don't um don't beat yourself up over stuff that you maybe could have done better everything is tuition everything's tuition you know um and there's a there's a tuition cost even if you didn't pay out of pocket you know if you made a movie and that movie wasn't what you wanted it to be your tuition was your time because you're never going to get that time back but what you can do is use that experience to make sure that your next movie is better than your last one mm -hmm. you well know, and uh, that is all just very very underplayed it does seem like so many will want to just have the luxury of saying oh i want director's cut and it's like no just re remake it or do it differently or take unused ideas and use it in this new project <laughs> no, i don't have time to remake something that you know overall is just not gonna mash up you know five years well no and i mean if you're remaking a film of your own that was like a short or something and they wanted to remake it it's like why, why do something else mm -hmm. like, unless unless you unless you have a really compelling reason to revisit that material or if you're independently wealthy to the point where it doesn't matter if you spend the money to basically do the same thing, do something different. Um, you know, because I, I don't know. It's like, I don't know why you'd want to retread that. I mean, even stuff that doesn't need to be remade. I mean, one of my producing partners and I, we had made a film, actually it was the first film that got into the Central Florida Film Festival, um, or was one, or Sunflow was one of the festivals that got into that. And, we ended up doing kind of well in it we expect to but that's even a film that like if it ever comes up to this day that producing partner and i who we were both in it we both produced it we kind of sort of co-wrote it all my partner wrote we did the actual he's more like Ma uh, trey parker i'm more like matt stone <laughs> actually like cool. well he right he sits and does all the legwork of the script and stuff like that and i'll come in and bang notes off him and and, and then just spitball ideas and, and stuff but we produced it together and he directed it we were both in it and all that and that was something where even to this day if it ever comes up we'll be like you know sh we should have cut this scene out and that shit should have been cut out we didn't need this but we're under no like we're under no uh compulsion or 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 you know 
we have no reason to go back and 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 revisit it like it's kind of done it did its festival thing it's on youtube now you know it's like there's no reason for us to go back and and take Mm -hmm. but that is something where to this day we're like you know so we should have cut more shit out and then it would probably would have gotten to more festivals because then it could have been 20 minutes instead of 29 minutes or whatever it would work better or you know well it's easier oh yeah well it's easier to program um you know films a lot of times those are some festivals that won't even look at shorts if they're over 15 minutes i mean we're not one of them but um that's right. festivals um and i don't think a lot of them are like that. the majors are probably like that the ones that get you know thousands of submissions then they're like yeah if your movie's like half an hour you call it a short we're not we're, if, if it doesn't hold them in the first few minutes of it that they'll just skip they're not even interested they won't program it because their attitude will be well if we program this 30 minute movie that's you know three 10 minute movies that we can't screen mm-hmm. you know um it's so it's not worthwhile yeah yeah i mean but i mean sometimes it does take 20 minutes to tell a story sometimes it does take half an hour to tell a story it's all what the story is um but if you watch a movie, if you and I have to watch hundreds of movies every year, you start to realize, you know, damn, they didn't really need this scene. Well, that this could have been cut, and you know, that kind of again dovetails back into what we were talking about, you know, an hour ago about like, you know, if there's bad sound in a scene and you can't do anything about it, then take a good hard look at that scene and see if you can't just lose the whole scene and keep the narrative of the movie. Mm-hmm. you know like do we really need to know that like the the main character's mother is in like therapy because if that's not germane to the plot we can cut that and the audience will never know that we they needed to know that the main character's mother was in therapy exactly. i apologize to anybody whose mother is in therapy i'm not saying that's a bad i didn't say it as a bad thing I just, uh, you know, and see, I like how you carry yourself here because there's just so many people who will just open themselves up. So if anyone who's been paying attention this whole time, what you're doing great is illustrating is answering every uh, reasoning and then any other subtext behind everything you're saying is just no 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 i that's my fault because i'm terribly tangential and i'm and i'm also terrible with like questions that have to deal with like absolutes but maybe and maybe it was freudian maybe i said it because i think my own mother should be in therapy so look at it like that um but at uh, least you're being extra careful though no 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 well everything gets sort of misconstrued and i have no i have no problem being a pop and jay my my problem is that i also uh you know i have a tendency to have to watch what i say to not be offensive because you never know what's going to offend people or, or trigger people um i mean i i can only obviously you know i think it's ubiquitous with anybody in life i mean you can only be so careful otherwise you get into that south park episode where they had the like non-religious non-denominational non-offensive christmas special where it ended up where they were just doing these weird dances to music by philip glass and because no one wanted to be everyone was offended by everything including christmas lights um <laughs> so i you know i mean i'm i'm kind of realistic um about, like I'm, i don't go out of my way to upset people but uh but you never know and honestly if anybody's been listening to this point i, I i'm happy to buy them a drink if they ever come to mount dora just for listening for so long um but yeah um shit what was the question 
<laughs> I'm trying to remember now. Uh, let's just move on to what oh, all together what you mainly have done a good job at is uh again you're pleased with the attendance numbers you're pleased mm-hmm. with uh just again just people showing up and actually you know picking each other's minds and what have you um uh what uh, so uh outside of your festival um what uh so you 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 recommended everyone use Film Freeway, um, uh, and any equipment. Well, I, don't, I don't. Well, hold hold the second question. I just just to clarify. I'm not endorsing Film Freeway as the only. Okay. Uh, well, then. outlet. It's the only one that I. They sort of replaced without a box for submitting. There may be other ones. I just. I, film freeway is just so used um no what i was saying was that for those filmmakers who do use film freeway is use it as a tool to shop the festivals and look at their their rules their dates their venue their you know prizes uh how long have they been running is is my movie something that that would look good in their programming lineup like that's kind of like that's what i meant by that is that it's a great tool to research the uh to research the festivals and i'm sorry i cut you off mid-sentence you, you, you had something else that you were saying uh just uh but what 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 equipment do you especially recommend for everyone who's just you know you got friends with the same interests and you, know, you got a premise and you got some free time outside a day job uh what what uh film equipment do you especially recommend everyone use it's just a oh. starter uh, again, well, th- this is see, this is a nice way to say Exhibit A. When I said that some directors like have no skills other than directing, I'm one of them. Uh, I I could not tell you. I know camera equipment that we've shot movies on. I I could not possibly recommend, um, like n- name brand stuff. Um, and I've been involved with films that have shot everything from Sony F55s to eight millimeter footage. Um, but I, I think that if, I know this isn't quite what you asked, but I know, I, I think that if you do have friends who enjoy storytelling and enjoy the film medium as much as you do, and you can all carve out the time together to make a movie, um, to shoot it on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Or sit on a, you know, a Galaxy Ultra phone, something with a great camera. Just go shoot the movie. Go shoot the movie. If you've never shot a movie before, that's a great way to do it. Because then you don't have to worry about renting gear or whatever. Because you're you're gonna you can screw up, but you can screw up on such a, a phenomenally small scale that it's not going to affect you in a way that's reputational or monetary or time like you're not spending somebody's money uh on a short that might cost ten twenty thousand dollars um this is something that you could shoot you know very uh economically uh you could make a two-minute movie on your iphone you know right um and or you know shoot a silent movie shoot a silent movie and then screen it for friends and see if they can figure out what the hell uh the movie's about because that's another thing as well is it's motion pictures. It's, you're telling a story in moving pictures. Um, I know some film schools will do that where their first lesson would be to say, uh, you need to tell a story, but you can take 25 or whatever index cards and draw 
one picture per index card and then put them in order and we'll put them up on a bulletin board. And then the easier it is for people to just walk up and look at your pictures in order and then figure out what your story is, the clearer it is, the better you've told the story through pictures. So you could do the same thing if people are just starting out. They could just make a silent movie. And that's the original movies anyway were silent before there was such a thing as sound. Sound's just an accoutrement to it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's telling a story in pictures. So um, that's why I say it's hard for me to recommend gear because I'm not, I, I wouldn't want to say something that that would lead someone astray. I, I don't think that I have the skill set necessary to do that. Um, but, but again, Google, <laughs> you know, or YouTube. Um, uh, you, filmmakers can very easily find other filmmakers talking about um, what gear to shoot with. Film Courage is a fun um, YouTube channel because they, they have all these filmmakers on there that will cover all sorts of stuff. Everything from writing. See, this is what I like. It. People throw yeah. another name out there and this is worthwhile because like you say, you, you just realize uh, that you can just learn so much just from other people who, you know, gone to the trouble for <laughs> no for sure i stumbled and that's a, a youtube channel that i stumbled across because you know doing um you know both you know working on both sides of the you know running a festival but also you know making films or working on other people with films of them co-producing something i've had to do so much by way of searches and you know google and youtube or whatever that that site just sort of popped up once just oh you know you might like this and i was like and I, whatever the hell the subject was just grabbed me I'm like oh i'd like to hear about that and then mm -hmm. it's exactly what it was called film courage um but i have to google and youtube all kinds i mean i really help i'm I, there's no way there's no way that i'm not on some kind of an fbi watch list <laughs> that i've had to google for four films whether it's how to crack open a safe or how to hide bodies or how to you know what guns do the like whatever the movie is it's like uh, yeah there's I, somebody's somebody's yeah, the, the fbi is looking at me maybe not hard but i'm sure i'm on some way you freak somebody out <laughs> yeah like why is this guy looking at how to break through a wall and then break into a safe and it's he like, wants realism in his movie and that's what it was for a movie for a diamond heist movie we were doing we had to we had to my partner had to do those too where you're doing all these searches or what, what kind of gun could do this or what you know right could it blow a lock off probably not can we you know has someone else right. already done it <laughs> this type of gun like will this type of gun have an exit wound or is it the type where the bullet gets stuck in the person uh, yeah it's that kind of shit and i'm sure that i'm on somewhat but i've gotten to the point where i don't even care uh I, you know it's like i'm making movies you know or i'm doing you know whatever it is for working on some kind of a film um mm -hmm. yep or prop stuff if you're looking at prop guns and things like that but yeah um I mean, oh shit! I got tangential again, and I forgot your question again. Maybe that was the question. I don't know, um, but yeah, um, I think if you have friends and 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 you want to make a movie together, go make a movie together. Don't worry about is it good or not. Is it this? You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna come out, you know, making an Academy Award winning movie, or maybe you will. I mean, you never know. Um, you know, some of the stuff like Project Greenlight has had weird stuff. I mean, you want to talk about esoteric. I mean, the the 
when they were doing Project Greenlight, because we sent something to Project Greenlight one time, it didn't go anywhere, but one of the things you have to do to submit to Project Greenlight, or at least you did at the time, was to judge a certain amount of other films. And they're only give you three minutes. You have to max out, or be exactly three minutes, or whatever it is. And like one, one of the movies we were watching was like somebody somebody's three minute movie was they shot it on a cell phone, and it was the sun setting for three minutes. That's it. Now, mm-hmm. how they thought they were getting into Project Greenlight with that, I have no idea. Yeah. But <laughs> they did, and so really do anything, play around, experiment. You know. Um, make movies with action figures or make movies with your pets and then give them goofy voices. You can add after effects now uh, where a lot of, you know, um, with uh, cell phones, you could put what kind of amounts to CGI in it. You know, you could make it look like your cat is fighting a dinosaur. You really can. It it is absolutely amazing. Just stuff that that. was second nature that took like 20 people, maybe hundreds. (laughs) So do that, you know. Like if you if you're like I want to figure out if I can do that, get something, get some toy that your cat is gonna like you know slap the shit out of or bat around, and then drop a CGI dinosaur in there and make it look like their cat's fighting a dinosaur, and at the very least you'll kind of just screw around with a nothing project and play around with editing and learn how to do it. Um, and because the more you do it, the easier it'll be, the more you'll learn, the less apprehensive you'll be, and the more courageous you'll be in terms of saying, you know, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to, now we're going to go get a camera and shoot a five, 10 minute movie. Who cares? You know, and if you familiarize yourself, if you have your own gear, if you know how to use it and your, your own, if you're like Robert Rodriguez, you know, where he did Rebel Without a Crew, his book about, you know, how who, who subjected himself to medical testing to finance El Mariachi? I think I think mm-hmm. it was Mariachi, where he was. To, you know, you can do that. You know, uh, it's like and speaking of Lloyd Kaufman, he mentioned that too. Yeah, but major organs come in too for a reason. If you want to, you know, donate a kidney to get your first big budget, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Point, like Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez didn't know what he was doing. And so he went and figured it out. And the good thing about that, it's why every time you see a Robert Rodriguez movie and it says written, shot, and cut by Robert Rodriguez, that's what he does. Does the screenplay, shoots the movie, edits the movie. And it's also why he gets so many celebrities to be in his movies, because regardless of whether it's like Spy Kids or uh, Sin City or whatever, he he gets celebrities because he goes through them immediately. Like they're not on set for a long time because Rodriguez edits in camera. He knows exactly what shot he wants. So he'll do two takes of an actor. And that he's like, all right, moving on. They're like, you sure? It was like two takes. He's like, yep, got it. Because he only needs like, you know, these like three seconds of a reaction from an actor before he knows he's going to cut to something else. So he learned how to do it himself. So that's a, a, another great way to do it. And if you're directing, if you're a filmmaker, the more that you know how to do, the more versatile you are, even if you don't do it yourself, even if you're not your own director of photography, you can sit there and communicate with the DP very easily, which, or, or much more easily than if you didn't know what the hell you were talking about, having your cameras or, you know, anything about framing 
or shot composition, you know, much as you said earlier, if you took an acting course and understood, okay, how to talk to actors about what your character wants, what's your motivation, like, you know, uh, what's your objective? Why are you in the room? Why didn't your character leave the room yet? You could do that. Motivation. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that exactly the same as your, uh, with anybody on the, on the film, if you, you know, on the crew, if you, if you know what you're talking about, if you know what those, um, what the skills are that are needed for it. Um, and sometimes they overthink it. Actors do it all the time. They overthink the hell out of things. Um, not just movies. If for same thing, theater. I've had people come up to me in musical comedy, and, you know, so, oh, this, I can't remember what the hell I was directing. It was, it was like, I don't know, probably Young Frankenstein or Hello Dolly or something. I had an actor come up to me once and they were like, this doesn't make sense. I can't, why is my character doing this? And I finally just have to say, look, it's a musical comedy. It's not supposed to make sense. You know, it's just, yeah, it's the audience giggles at dumb shit. You know, it's all it is. You know, you're overthinking it. You know, just remember your character's this, that's it. So sometimes there is that, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. there, so there, sometimes there, there, there's a tendency upon certain people to try to complicate things and they don't, they're not doing it for malicious reasons. They're doing it because they want to get it right, but they don't realize they've, they've thought about something beyond the point of its utility and you just have to do it and just say, well, you know, um, it needs to be this or it needs to be that, uh, whatever the, whatever again whoever you're talking to you know i mean if you've ever been on a film set uh then you know you don't let the dp and the gaffer uh go without a time limit because otherwise they're going to be arguing about the lighting for you know 25 minutes or yeah no. however long you want to give them you no, know but... no because you you have to be like all right guys come on you know got to get this shot man we got to move on because first ad is nagging me i gotta nag you now you got we got to get this shot you know don't worry about how well, the light looks like this in the corner we'll just figure it out or rack focus in the edit whatever we don't need to worry about whatever the thing is we'll figure it out but like we gotta go so there's always that with uh yeah you know um where people sometimes anybody on any position will overcomplicate something and that's okay as long as they're doing it for the right reasons that's okay if they're right. doing it for ego if they're if it's an i'm right you are wrong that's something different but if it's if it's two people fighting about trying to make something the best version of itself that it can be then that's a good thing uh absolutely it's just very maddening when it seems like there's many who don't know how to communicate or want to overthink for the sake of it just like just pause uh, yeah, you know, observe, and then let's just, you know, let's talk. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, it absolutely is. Um, and it's, but you know what? That's human nature. And uh, part of, part of being a good director, I think, uh, apropos, well, filmmaker, but certainly a director, uh, is kind of like being a bit of a, you know, sort of a counselor human resources person psychiatrist whatever to deal with people that are gonna you know that you you don't have a lot of time to make a movie you know you got to get it done so you can move on and uh you have to know how to deal with people and, and whether and i don't mean like egos or whatever although that does come into play as well but you have to know how to you know work through all that, that with somebody and sometimes help them find it what it is they're looking for um regardless again of their their position on the project absolutely 
Well, this has been a delight, sir, and I've been glad that we were able to just get real deep for this uh, hour. Um, anything else uh, that you'd like to just any networking events you'd recommend people check out this year? Networking events? Um, yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, uh, definitely go to, um, you know, if you have local film festivals that are in your town or a city that's near you, uh, go to it. If you've never been to a film festival, uh, especially if you're a filmmaker or an actor or a writer, screenwriter, or, you know, anyone in the film business, or if you like indie film, uh, it's a great resource. It's a great way to meet filmmakers. It's a great way to see what's out there. If you've never made a film before, you can look at, okay, well, what's being programmed in festivals? Um, and it'll also help you to not be intimidated for when you do, if you've never done it, if you do submit to festivals. Um, and otherwise, there's lots of stuff. AFM, you know, if you could afford a ticket to fly out and go to the American film market, um, that's a very cut and dry a uh, real world way of finding out how to book meetings, do pitches, do stuff like that. And that's like, that's a no bullshit thing. Like if you suck at pitches, you'll find out real quick at AFM, but you, you also want to hone that sort of stuff. Uh, use the internet. It's your friend. If you want to know how to do pitches or how to make movies, how to do anything with movies, go on YouTube. Somebody somewhere is telling you or wants exactly. You know, it's free. Use it. Well, unless you pay for the not no commercials or whatever. But, you know, that's a free resource that you can use. And there's plenty of filmmakers that'll tell you all the stupid things they did on their way to, to becoming great filmmakers. Um, so utilize those resources. And feel free, by the way, I mean, I know it's February, but, you know, come uh, come December, hit me back up. I'll, I'll be able to actually talk to you about what our uh, 18th annual festival is going to look like. Who the guests might be, or whatever, and you know that kind of stuff. I have no idea yet. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but yeah, no, don't be a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I had great fun chatting with you, and uh, please uh, definitely uh, stay in touch. Our next festival is going to be the third weekend, whatever that is. I think the nineteenth, twentieth, and twenty-first. I think is going to be our dates uh, in twenty twenty-four. I'm just waiting on confirmation from that before that um nice. but yeah no, I, I'd, I'd be happy to, to chat with you again anytime and you know um be able to give you more information uh obviously in the run-up to the festival itself absolutely okay well that that is splendid and uh hopefully a lot of people got something out of this uh and um, i'm glad you can keep inspiring other peers of, uh over there as well so Ah, uh, well, if I inspire one person, I'll have done something, I guess. Um, but no, it's uh, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Absolutely. And you be safe out there and uh, uh, just give them hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, don't let the bastards grind you down. You know? Exactly, man. <laughs> Thanks again so much. Have a great night. Absolutely. I'll <laughs> let you know when to post. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a